Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. This series, Hope in the End Times, and we're just drilling into this idea of hope and really um, just taking time, obviously, in this season, especially uh, looking at uh, what is, what's hope all about and how do we uh, build hope and encourage and how should the church be a hopeful community. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. We're going to be at 1 Peter chapter 4 if you want to follow, uh, follow along and uh, go to 1 Peter chapter 4. We were in 1 Peter chapter 1 last week. We're just going to be looking at verses 7 through 14 and this idea of what does a hopeful community look like. Uh, the church should be that. And so what does that look like? We have this little section of scripture in, uh, in Peter that's just beautiful how it fits together defining for us what this should look like. Um, obviously, there's many other places in the scripture uh, as well, but we should be a hopeful community. This is a place that uh, should just be bustling, overflowing with hope. It should be hopeful, right? And... Um, so as we get into this this morning, I, um, I'm just going to read the text, and then we're going to just kind of walk through verse by verse in these, these few verses this morning as we really go after this idea of a hopeful community. So um, let me read for us this morning, Word of God. Verse 7, <clears throat> the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all. Keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Just ask now this morning, Lord, that that word sink deep within our soul. Holy Spirit, come and bring it alive. Lord, bring conviction. Lord, bring encouragement. Lord, bring hope. Show us, Lord, this beautiful vision of a hopeful community. Work among us, Lord, as your people. Let us be a hopeful community, Father. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying here this morning, Father, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, well, let's dive in this morning. What is a hopeful community? Um, so much here to unpack. Let me just begin. Peter begins this, uh, which it seems maybe even out of place. He begins the section by saying the end of all things is at hand. You know, it's kind of gloom and doom almost, um, but it should never be for those who know Jesus. As the song we just sang, the idea of the end coming is that is where our hearts should be going, right? Even so, come Lord Jesus. The end of the Bible, right? The heartbeat of the church should become Lord Jesus today. We should live under that expectation. This shouldn't be something that we just kind of put off as irrelevant or whatever. It just shows and reveals quickly is our hope in this world or is our hope in the world yet right to come of what Jesus, who ultimately is going to 
do everything and restore everything, right? And all the glorious promises that we have according to that. So Peter begins this idea of what a hopeful community looks like with getting our eyes set on the end of all things is at, is at hand. So I, I just want to talk a little bit about that um, this morning, this idea as we get into the rest of this, this idea of a hopeful uh, community is a community that has a proper perspective on the future and has a proper perspective of where our, our feet are grounded when it comes to where is our hope. Really, what is the hope for this world? Especially in the midst of a, a big-time political uh, uh, situation is, boy, we need to have, make sure our feet are grounded firmly that our hope ultimately is in what God is doing, not in any politics, not in any nation. Right? And that hope, firmly grounded upon the word of God, should be the lens by which we vote, should be the lens by which we serve and be good citizens, not the other way around. Um, that will get us into trouble, as it has in, in our nation. And so this idea of the end of all things uh, is, is at hand, is uh, that, that we know that today time is speeding up, okay? And I'm going to use this terminology that of a prophetic funnel. Um, all throughout scripture, we see that Jesus talked about the birth pains. And not just Jesus, but many other writers in the New Testament um, talked about the idea of birth pains. Use this analogy of giving birth as far as getting in tune with what is going to happen towards the end. And uh, Jesus made it very clear is that things are going to speed up is the birth pangs are going to increase in, in, uh, in repetition, right, as the time comes. And this is what I mean by this prophetic funnel, is that as time moves on, right, the time's going to get quicker and more condensed and, uh, and move quicker, right, just as water, right, going through a funnel. And uh, so the idea of birth pains, it, you know, I, I think where we've been for so long is this idea that... Um, you know, but we kind of get back to normal. Even that language you're using about the new normal or whatever it is. And just like in birth, you know, you'll get a few birth pains and you'll rush off to the hospital and they'll say, ah, oh, not yet, go on home. And it wasn't, uh, we're, we're not ready for things to happen as such, right? And, um, and, uh, and then, you know, time will go on a little ways and then all of a sudden, you know, it'll happen again maybe. And folks, this is kind of the, the end times in scripture. Jesus made it very clear that the end times is that time right after. So we've been in it 2,000 plus years already, right? The scripture is very clear that, that it, Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection began the end times. Because the very next event that's going to happen in the biblical record of prophecy is Jesus' coming back to make things right again. Uh, that is the next thing coming. We are in the end times. And the end times, you know, just like the birth canal, whatever it is, is it, it's moving and speeding up to this point. The question is today, are things speeding? Where are we at in this prophetic funnel? Are things speeding up? So um, I'm going to be very clear with you. I think they are. Now, uh, does that mean it's around the corner? I, I, only God knows, right? But it's even more important as uh, Paul is giving, Peter is giving us this admonition to, especially when things are confusing, especially when things are, are in upheaval, especially in those times where we see more and more uh, the, of the birth pains given moving that direction, the church should be, no matter how crazy it's going on around, the church should be that place, that community, that hopeful community where people, again, we're called to be the light, right, that shines, that people can come and get a real dose of what real hope is that is transcended upon the circumstances, right, that happen right here in life. And, um, 
And this is what Jesus talks about. So the birth pains, again, throughout scripture, if we're not familiar with prophecy from the old and the new, uh, is just this earth. Romans 8 talks about the earth, the physical creation groaning itself, waiting for the day of Christ's renewal. The groaning is because it's in decay. It has been thrust all the way back to Adam and Eve. We've thrust sin into this world, and, and evil comes, the very source of evil is from the human heart that rejects God and does things our own way. That is the source of evil. And that evil has brought corruption to even the creation. The creation itself is longing, Romans says, waiting for the day of the redemption of the sons of God, of of God's children, for him to bring restoration right back to this place. And that is going to increase as well as knowledge, as well as prophetic insight of God's word and everything else. All that should be um, on the increase. Even secular scientists and futurists um, support that today. So, um, this is a wild stat I recently saw, and many of you probably read in marketing books or business books and strategy books, whatever it is, but today they're saying, historically, let me say it this way, is that um, society goes through radical change about every generation, 20 to 40 years, depending upon the, how, how things are done. So every 20 or 40 years is a society has, because of technology and just moving forward in in uh, history itself, is that we go through some kind of radical change about every 20 to 40 years. Right now, they say that we, it's every 18 months that we go through radical change. So think about the consequence of that. So again, if you're in the marketplace, if you own a business or, or whatever it is, is, is you know, right, uh, um, is, is, and if you're even in the econ- economics of this little place here to realize just what's happening with real estate, just go down the list of how quick and, and how things change in society, people moving here and there, and, and you know, if you were in commercial real estate in California, Silicon Valley, and then all of a sudden, boom, everybody's working from home, what do you, I mean, there's some big, that can happen overnight and change a whole idea of how business works and what I'm invest in. And, and so even the secularists are saying, we are on a speed up right now the world has never seen before. Time is faster, right? And if you're going to adapt and keep up, you better be ready to change. If, if, if we're with those people who I don't want to change, well, you, it's not going to happen in this culture that um, we're going. And of course, social media, technology, all of that just do, right? The number of inventions and things, I mean, I could go on and on about this. All I'm trying to show you is that even secular mindset is lining up with the biblical record. We are on a fast track right now, okay? Now, what does that mean for the future? Only God knows. But what it means for the church is, is we need to tune into that and we need to be making sure that we are the people, we are the community, we're the family of God that is hopeful, right? And seeing that our hope is being developed and built in the midst of all this rather than fear, right? Rather than insecurity, right? Um, and all those other things that so much uh, take hold, right? Um, inside society. So Peter says the end of all things is at hand. He's preparing. He's setting the stage. It's like church, especially when time is speeding up, prophetic insight is speeding up, right? The, the change in society, which anytime change speeds up, the delta speeds up, we know what happens in that system. If you're a scientist or whatever, right? More chaos is put into and more variables put into the equation, right? Don't you feel that way in life? Don't you feel like you've just had a, and again, delta's change symbol, but, right, don't you feel like, man, you've just had thrust into your life all of this radical, man, it just seems like, wow, just, there's just constant change. There's constant something, like, you you know, tune in your news feed, just never, you know, um, 
Folks, the, what that does to, to, a, to society and people in a whole, and I don't have time to get into all this, we're going to reap the consequences of all of our uh, containment stuff that we've done, right? In the sense of, of, and I'm not saying we don't have to do it, some of this we have to do, but it's how it's done and what it is doing to our society and changing at fundamental formal structure of how we relate to one another socially. It's radically changing social structures, radically changing the context of relationship, right? I mean, we thought we had isolation problems before. Well, we have serious, growing isolation problems and all the consequences that come with that happening right now, right? And how are we going to deal with all this? Paul, Peter is saying, look, in the midst of all this change, man, right, sink into the hopeful community. Let the hopeful community, right, of the church be that bedrock, that foundation where we can be encouraged and be strengthened, right, what God is, is doing in this time. So he goes on. And he, he says here to us that therefore be self-controlled, sober-minded, right, for the sake of your prayers. Therefore, in the midst of all this change, in the midst of this prophetic funnel, let's just say, uh, of moving quicker through things, man, he says be self-controlled, be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Well, what, uh, what does all that mean? And what does that mean for being a, a hopeful community? And so these two words in the Greek, self-controlled and sober-minded, they roughly are the same words. They mean roughly the same thing, but it's this, Peter is just bringing together this profound idea that we, we must, um, in the midst of these, and as a community, encourage each other right, to this, this process of, of, of being self-controlled and sober-minded. Let's begin with sober-mindedness is just be watchful, be aware. Right? Be, be sober, right, means don't be numbed out. Be in tune with all these things that are going on. Don't run or isolate or try to numb yourself or, or just tune out with what is going on. Be watchful. God's people are be watchful what's happening and to be hopeful, right? That God's got this in his hands. But God, give us insight into what is happening here, right? Speak to us on these things. But he couples that with this idea of being self-controlled. It is the ninth of the nine fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and this self-control. That's out of Galatians 5. That that's the work of the Holy Spirit inside our soul. And that's the work that should be alive inside the larger community of God's people. And the last one of those is self-control. Especially in this time, make sure that we are walking, keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is giving us self-control and I think the greatest illustration for that the need for that in times like this is in our discourse the church should be leading that the leading edge of, of modeling for a community love and healthy discourse right especially in the environment we have right now is that followers of Jesus should be the ones who can step into a very volatile situation in communication, right? In exchange of, of just the, the vehemence, the hatred that's out there right now. The unwillingness to listen to the other side is what uh, Peter is saying is church model, right? Model self-control, model a loving dialogue where there's a listening and there's an engagement and, uh, and, and truly being able to right, minister right, to people. And then he, it says this part, which is pretty amazing. He says, why, why do this? this? In other words, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Now, especially a hopeful community is a community that is a prayerful community. It is impossible to nurture the fruit of the Spirit. It's impossible to grow and mature. And it's impossible to have a place where God's presence is alive and supernatural working without it being a place of prayer. 
right? And Jesus himself said, my house is to be a house of prayer. It's to be a house where people come to worship and to cry out to God, to move, right? And uh, we're commanded to pray for our leaders and pray for the whole process, right? It's, it's where we depend on God. In the midst of that, the Holy Spirit is infused, right? And all the gifts into that, into that process. But this idea of for the sake of your prayers is um, it's a pretty powerful thing. I'm just going to um, flip back to the next chapter, or previous chapter in uh, 1 Peter, uh, verse 12. And the previous chapter says this, uh, 1 Peter 3, 12, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Wow. That's taken from the Psalms and many other places in Scripture. And, and, and I think, we, but what Peter is trying to say is really just this wake-up call, right, to the church is, is this idea, I think we've with cheap grace and just a really a, a gospel that hasn't been full, that has been preached. We've put this idea out there is that, you know what, God's he, just call to him. He'll listen to you anytime. You know, that's not true. Is that heaven is closed to the unrighteous. It says it, right? I just read it. Heaven is closed. The ears of God, his face, his countenance is closed to the unrighteous. Wow. And so this is exactly what he's bringing out here. Be self-controlled. Be aware. Be watchful. Be self-controlled. Make sure that you're righteous. Hmm. So it raises this huge question. Who are the righteous? How do you know that you're righteous? How do you know you have the ear of God? How do you know that heaven is open to you? How do you know that God is hearing you and responding to you? There's one question that answers that. It's the issue of do I know I'm righteous? And how do I know if I'm righteous? And folks, I think this is the biggest, this is the core of the gospel, and this is one of the biggest things that somehow has been so misunderstood by the watching world of the church. Right? How do I know I'm righteous? The people Jesus was the most harsh against were those who, the Pharisees and religious leaders who were self-righteous. He had strong things to say about them. Very strong things. But the other flip side of this is those who constantly feel unworthy or they are bound up with their sin and shame and guilt and feel like they're unworthy to go before God is that's not righteous either. And there's actually a third part of this is one that was in the culture, right, that says, hey, we're basically good. Everybody's righteous, Right? And, and that I, I don't need to worry about my sin, shame, and guilt. I don't need to worry about my standing before a holy God. And therefore, I don't pray much. Or those people would be the people who would say, yeah, if God was really a loving God, why would he let right, all of this happen? Why would COVID happen if there was a loving God? Matter of fact, let me just step back. I'll come back to this piece because I think this is important, especially in light of this, uh, this big prayer time. Um, I'll come back and answer the question of righteous because this is the gospel. But let me, first, uh, let me first address this issue that I think is so, so key about the loving God. In other words, if, if someone thinks they have no need for righteousness, they have no need for a savior, they have no need really for, he's out there, God, and, and really just kind of this place of, of anger with God, of just saying, God, I, I, you know, and just trying to live without him really. 
And just thinking somehow that we as human beings are going to bring peace into this world, that we can do it, or the whole, what is it now, a $10, $20 billion self-help industry, that somehow we can help ourselves, good luck with that, right? Um, look where it's got us, right? Um, so this whole prayer movement, and you, you've heard Second Chronicles 7.14 over and over again, right? is the wonderful promise. This is in the context of the dedication of the temple and God's word to Solomon. It says, if my people, what? Humble will humble themselves, will pray, seek my face, right? I'll, I'll, I'll heal their land. Wow, what a promise. That was what the whole march, on, you know, I don't know how many were out there uh, this last weekend, but thousands and thousands, right, is, is built most of the big national prayer things are built around that verse. Here's the problem, or not problem, but here's the the fullness to answer this question for the watching world that says, why, if God is loving, why does he allow these things to happen? Is verse 13. Does anybody know the verse right before that promise that God said to Solomon? Verse 13. God says this, when I bring pestilence, when I bring the problems, just to summarize everything he lists there, when I bring them on the earth, then, if my people humble themselves, I'll heal the land. And so this is very important to understand is when people say, well, man, if God's a loving God, how would he allow COVID or just hurricanes? And let's just go down the list. One of the greatest famines in Africa going on because of locust infestation, <laughs> you know, hurricanes at a greater number, wildfires. You just, you add to the list of birth pains, right? Out there going on today, right? Um, whatever happened to the murdering bees or whatever those things, I don't know, whatever. But um, I think some people are out there just trying to fuel and just put stuff out, you know. But um, he says, when I bring these things. And so here's what's important to understand. It's because God is a loving God that he brings those things. It's because he is a loving God that he brings the birth things. It's because he's a loving God that he's not going to leave people in a numb state and just to go life as normal without having to really think about life and to think about him. Because he's a patient God, he, he longs, as the scripture says, for everyone to come to the knowledge of him. And throughout history, God has been bringing, he promised Israel, Israel, if you don't do, here's the promise, here's the blessings I'm going to promise. But if you don't, guess what's going to happen? You're going to be invaded and I'm going to bring this and this and this upon you. It's not because he's not loving. It's because he is loving. And he desires their heart to waken up because so that they will not go through life and have to face judgment, final judgment in the end. And so if anybody in this idea of, of oh, in, in all of this, where is God and why is he not involved? If he's really loving God, we wouldn't have all the riots and, and the junk and the just go down the list of things that people could complain about is that our response clearly needs to be, it's because of these things. And matter of fact, they are going to speed up. They're going to get worse. There's going to be a lot worse than COVID. There's going to be a lot worse than the hurricanes and famines that go down the list. You say, oh, geez, that's doomsday. No, it's not. Those are wake-up calls. Those are God's sign in his creation to say to us and to the world, look, I am here. You need to, and there is a timeline here. You need to repent. You need to open your eyes. You need to be sober-minded. You need to step into my love and receive my son. Does that make sense, gang? Yes. It's because he loves 
It's because he loves, he allows the calamity to happen, right, in this world. That, and again, remember, look at the church. Historically, the church is the most healthy in, in all of history when what? When it's most persecuted. And why does God bring persecution? Why does he bring, in a, and remember, First Peter, if we want, or Second Peter, it says judgment begins with the house of God. Not without there. Judgment begins with those who know him because he needs a pure church. He needs people who will honor his church to be a hopeful community, to be a light shining bright for those who in the midst of the chaos and have a place to run. And it won't be a place that pacifies people's need to make them feel comfortable, to tickle their ears. A hopeful place is a place that stands firmly on the word of God and, and clearly what God says. A, a hopeful place is a place that is most concerned about pleasing God, not mankind. A hopeful place is a place, right, that stands on the prophecies of God and the expectation that God is going to be uh, faithful to his word, right? Now this brings us back to righteousness. Who's righteous? Who has the ears of God? Not the self-righteous. Not, not, the, not the ones who think that, hey, we can build the Tower of Babel Hey, that we have the technology, that we, we have educated, we need to educate people. That's the solution for peace in the world. Or self-help, that somehow we can just need to educate more, we just need more insight and whatever it is, and yes, then we're going to, all right, see uh, righteousness, we'll have the year of God, we'll have the blessings of God. No, it's impossible, right? No works, right, have ever, um, can ever get us close enough to God. Right. The whole point of Romans and the gospel is to we're to see ourselves as utterly helpless. A heart that is desperate need of a savior, of something greater than us to make us righteous, right? To make us holy, right? And unfortunately, this is, this is the core of the gospel. This is the core of the good news. And man, it's like somehow that, that message has been confused out there, right? Because out, outside world looks at the church primarily like, man, you they're so self-right. There's so much hypocrites. They just say this. They think they're righteous and we're unrighteous, right? Rather than the message of the gospel to say, look, no one can be righteous. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, right? Or 1 Corinthians God the Father made him, Jesus, to be sin, who was perfect, so that we could be the righteousness of God, right? So that we could be the righteous, we could be righteous. So we could have the ear of God, so that we could have the ear of our Heavenly Father. So that our prayers would be unhindered up to heaven, right? And folks, the key is right here. If you ever feel like you're just not, God's not hearing, you're not getting there, this, it's an issue of righteousness, right? And to apply the gospel, it doesn't mean this, this is the message that everybody out there needs to know is that none of us got it together. No one's righteous, selfly has done anything to become righteous. We are righteous solely because of what Jesus has done for us and we received it freely, just like everybody else can. That we're just a mess and this, this idea of uh, of the glory of, the, of this repentance and this, this righteousness of having the ear of God. Man. And folks, and, and here's where it needs to be applied inside, is way too many people are, are bound up with are, uh, still their own, you know, their own issue, their own guilt, their own uh, you know, condemnation or whatever it is, rather than really understanding the gospel to understand that was taken away. 
right? There's open access to heaven. There isn't anything except you keeping you from entering into the ear of your father. It's embracing the gospel, right? It's embracing the gospel. And then the other problem, as I said, self-righteousness is, is, is getting the idea that, hey, I'm good. I'm doing some stuff, and therefore God should listen to me better. No. That'll, that'll close off heaven quicker than anything, just like Jesus made it real clear to the self-righteous Pharisee, right? It doesn't matter how mature we are along the way. Do you realize that our standing before God is not based on my good works, your good works? My standing before God in the morning and throughout my entire life is solely based upon his gracious work, undeserved favor that I received freely by grace. There's no better. That's the gospel, folks. The problem today in the church is that we're not living under the power of that gospel and somehow that message is being muddled up, right, as it gets out there into, right, the, the watching the world that desperately needs it, that we need to be see, see it. And, and the only way is for that gospel to take hold and because that is the foundation of a hopeful community, right? It's based on justification. It's based on what the gospel, right, has, has done for us. Does that make sense, gang? There's nothing more powerful, no more important question that any of us can ask or settle is simply this issue of how can I be righteous? There's no more, just put it, just throw me a question that's more important than that. There's no more important question than that. And what's staggering today in the American church is the radical confusion when people start trying to answer that question. That should, that's 101. That's where we start. That's the foundation of understanding who we are before Christ and the power of grace, right, to mature and grow us up as a hopeful, right, community. Hope itself will be corrupted if grace is not at the foundation, the understanding, right, of the gospel itself. For, so for the sake of our prayers, get the gospel right. And realize that no aspect of being watchful, sober-minded, or, 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 or uh, self-controlled, it is not possible in our own without the Holy Spirit empowering us. It is a move of the Spirit of God. It is a cry out, God, you must come and fill me with hope and, and this idea of just preaching and living under the gospel of grace to realize that my Father's love for me is unconditional. It's not based on my performance, my religious response, or all this. It's solely based on God's heart. And my response back to him, if that truly understand that, is now out of pleasing God, right? I think it was Dallas Willard that said, it's so brilliant, is that grace is opposed to earning, right? Grace is unmerited favor. You can't earn God's righteousness. It's a free gift, but it's not opposed to effort. Ooh, it's opposed to earning. You can't earn it, but it is opposed, or it's not opposed to effort, in other words, once I really understand this free and awesome gift of God's grace, then it should, if the Holy Spirit's truly in me, it should mobilize incredible spiritual effort to please God and to be holy. And to be holy, right? Does that make sense? Boy, we got to get that right. So he moves on in this idea of being a hopeful community. And folks, listen to this. Above all, above all, above all, <laughs> above all, Right, we're just building upon this idea of just of, of God's love for us, right? Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sin. Above all, above all, 
Above all, make sure that the gospel, make sure that understanding of righteousness, God's love, his grace for us is at the firm foundation and that we're loving out of that foundation, not trying to love in our own flesh. There is a worldly love. There is a fleshly love that is corrupt. It looks good maybe on the outside. We can talk about, oh, just love people. And it's very fleshly. It's not spirit-filled. It's not God's love. Hopeful community is firmed on the gospel and it's God's love. Scripture says we love because he first loved us. Unless I understand, experience the first love of God, I cannot truly, my love will be corrupt if I try to love without God. And that's the love we see operative in the world. We talk about it all the time, but boy, where do you see genuine transformative love? It is only when God's love takes hold right inside us. And to understand that, um, above all, in other words, Peter, as, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians as well, as he started defining what church should look like when we gather together, is look, love one another. Learn to love one another, right? Earnestly, right? Earnestly. And what is this idea of since love covers a multitude of sins? Wow. So let me give you a couple verses um, to write down here. Um, James 5.19 says basically the same thing. Uh, Proverbs 10.12, right? Hatred spurs on strife, but love, oh, it covers sin, right? Man. So let me tell you what this is not, because this is really important to understand. Love, God's love, as it brings alive by the Holy Spirit inside the hearts of God's people, um, it's not... I do not love, it's impossible. What this is not saying is that my love covers my sin. Because this is real important to understand. It'll just contradict what we just talked about. This is not saying, right, that love, my love, my doing good works, my, quote, loving people out here covers my sin or makes me more righteous before God. That contradicts what we just talked about. This, what Peter is saying in the other verses in the scripture, it talks about this covering of a multitude of sins, is this is the issue that of, uh, of our loving one another covers others' sins. What do we mean by cover them? Um, folks, this is such powerful, beautiful language, but we've talked a lot in here about um, one of our core values of community, biblical community, is, is this idea of being unoffendable. If the gospel's taking hold of me, I need to learn and grow to be unoffendable. When somebody does something that's offensive to me, maybe just wrongs me or something. Now, Matthew 18 is there. We're to go to that person. There's a proper way of loving and working things out. But in general, I'm going to speak on this, this idea, is that we're to be growing and unoff being unoffendable, and that if in my mind someone's done me wrong or, or I, I have a problem with somebody or whatever it is, is to cover that with love. What that does in the spiritual realm, in the realm of the church, is it keeps that sin, it keeps that division, it keeps that thing from spurring off into gossip, from from the enemy taking it and bringing huge division in the body. It's covered. So I'm not going to go gossip about it because, because Jesus, what you've done for me, the grace of God, how you've forgiven me is I'm going to cover that. I'm not going to be offended by that. I'm going to move towards that person with love. I'm not going to talk to other people about that person. I'm going to cover it with love. And when I do that, what happens is it's covered. And what happens is it's amazing. It defeats the powers of the enemy to use that offense to cause great division in the body. 
And folks, to apply this in our own life is just to think about if you have situations in your life where people, you feel like they've wronged you, treated you wrong, abused you, whatever the issue is, and you just, man, when you see them or whatever it is, you have this in your brain. To cover it is to just, Lord, I, 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 help me, help me. If I need to get with them, if I need to have a conversation, at Matthew 18, let's do that. But you know what? I'm going to be unoffendable because to cover that sin. Now, let me just give another illustration. This is so beautiful of how Jesus covered Peter's sin. Peter, <clears throat> chosen leader of the 12, he's the main leader, and uh, look how he fell. We don't really understand the magnitude of his sin. When he denied the Lord three times, the magnitude of that, rejecting, denying God, is massive. It's massive internally to him. It was massive when it came to his leadership position. It was massive blasphemy in the sense of culturally what other people, when they saw him, remember some of the church heard him, saw him do it three times. Man. So what did Jesus do? He modeled this for us like he did. His, his main, remember, the main covering and the only covering ultimately for our sin, right, is, is the gospel, is his blood that was shed for us. We just have to apply it, right, to love others. And until I understand that love of my Lord for me, I can't apply it to others. I have no basis for love. I have no basis for forgiveness. Our culture of the world talks about love, talks about forgiveness. They have no basis for it. Does that make sense? There's nothing they have to tie to it. It's useless words to a world that doesn't understand a God who forgave them and loves them. Because anybody, you can make it mean whatever you want it to mean. It's only, again, when the gospel, right, firms us up here. So what did Jesus do, man? Here you have Peter fallen in just uh, unimaginable, paralyzing guilt and, and shame. And he's doing the only, end of John shows us, he's doing the only thing he knows to do. He's not obeying God. What did God call him to do? Go, make disciples, build my church, be the leader of my disciples. What's Peter doing? He's going back to, because he can't fathom, he, he's unworthy anymore of that position of leadership, of that, of that role. He's out fishing. He's back to his vocation that Jesus clearly called him to lay down his nets. Remember? Lay your nets down. Follow me. Jesus is on the shore. You know the story. Peter jumps in. Lord, and Jesus has this incredible intimate moment. Peter, do you love me? Oh, Lord, go feed my sheep covered three times do you love me then feed my sheep lord you know but here's it goes further in this story do we ever have any insight into the early church just boom right into the book of acts do we ever have any indication that this was anybody talked about do we ever have any indication that man i don't know about you guys but i'm not going to follow peter man he rejected the lord that dude is unqualified for leadership uh, he's just rash, he jumps out of things, and he's here, he's there, he's all over the place. I'm not going to follow that guy. Do we ever see any indication of that? Never, because why? His offense had been covered in the community. And folks, if we learn to love that way and apply that, the magnitude of what will happen in a hopeful community, man, the power of God takes over. Right? Offenses get laid down. Unity comes. The enemy's not able to bring division in. And you can't have a hopeful community. This is a divided community. In the world, in America, our, right, the world we're living in, this nation we're living in, it needs the church now more than ever to obey and be this, a hopeful community that people can watch. Does that make sense? Okay, right? All right, let's go on. 
Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Okay, this is not, we're going to get into spiritual gifts in a minute, right? But this is not talking about, hey, if you have the gift of hospitality, show hospitality. No, it says anybody who's a Christ. Peter's saying, it doesn't matter if you have the gift or not. Everyone, if you're a Christ follower, open your house up for God's work. Your house should be seen as a home where there's always space at the table. Church, if you're going to be a hopeful community, you need to be known as the most hospitable place. If you have neighbors around you that have not been invited to your table, I encourage you to pray about that. If you have neighbors living next to you, you might not even know them. Have you invited them to your table? That is at the essence of being a hopeful community. What? But what do we do? The American way is isolation, walls, fences. Right? We, we isolate, and Peter's saying, look, when things all start falling apart, please don't lay this down. Even be more so people who, because it's costly. This is why without grumbling, because it's costly. It's costly. Time, effort, cleaning, preparing. It is, and if you've ever done it, you know it's, it's tiring. It's work. Don't stop. Excel at this, even if you don't have the gift of hospitality, right? If you're a follower of Jesus, be a hopeful community and make sure there's room at your table. Does that make sense, gang? Yes. Wow, how we need that today. And again, as they always say, man, uh, you get, bring some of your table, you, the relationship changes overnight. No matter how bad or our thoughts, usually your, our thoughts are resolved if we had any problem with them. Christians are about inviting people, even their enemies, to their table. Ooh. I'm telling you right now, if this took off in this community alone, and, and I, 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 I just want to say, I think our church does an amazing job at this. But we need to excel, church. Right? We need to excel even more. All right. So let's finish this up. The last thing he says in church, to be a hopeful community, and again, Paul does the same thing in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, defining what church community should look like, and Peter's doing the same thing here, and he ends by saying, each has received a gift. That word in the Greek is charisma, a spiritual gift, not your natural talent, it's something you receive supernaturally. Church, as each of you has received a charisma, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace, his gifting. Whoever speaks, and he divides the spiritual gifts into speaking gifts and serving gifts. Whoever speaks, right? So that's teaching, that's prophecy, it's words of knowledge, those kind of things, speaking things. As one who serves by, um, excuse me, step back, as one who speaks oracles of God. James 3, 1 says, not many of you be teachers, you're held to a stricter judgment. In other words, be, be, be in awe and be in tune with God. I, I want to, my words to be edifying. I want them to be to your heart, to others, right? To build others up, not to build myself up, build others up, right? And those who serve by the strength that God supplies. So how do I know if I'm doing that? Because if I don't want, it's, it's, it's if I really don't want to do something, Lord, I need your strength here. I need your grace here to do this, Right? It's by the strength he supplies, not by my natural talent, not by because I want to do it, not because it's something I feel, quote, called to do. I feel really called to that. That's, that is such cop-out language in the church today. It, it, it's, it's leaning into, Lord, I can't do this without you. And if it's smooth and easy, guess what? 
We're not relying on the Holy Spirit for it to happen. To serve each other, right? And this is so that obviously God can get all the glory, right? So a couple things just in closing here. Derek, you can come on up. Is this is, this is the, one, the one thing I want us to really hone in on this, okay? Is the consistent, there's this argument, there's this, this understanding that is a false biblical understanding in the church today that somehow we have, can have two camps. We can have the camp that sees we need to love people and the camp that needs to like pursue the gifts. Okay, this couldn't be any clearer, nor could Peter's three chapters in 1 Corinthians, you can't have one without the other. Loving people and serving them go hand in hand, should never be separated from pursuing and using the spiritual gifts. They go together, right? And you surely can't have the serving the gifts or without the love. These go together. And a church cannot be a hopeful church unless it's pursuing both. Pursuing love, right? In a very practical, powerful way as we are growing in our love of the gospel and at the same time pursuing and understanding that my gifting, that, that I'm using um, the gift that God has given me. And what Peter's just reiterating what Paul's already said, that we at least, each of us, are given at least one spiritual gift. So it raises the question, doesn't it? Do you know what that gift is? And how do you know? Again, the context here, I want to be very clear, this is not your natural gifting, this is not your natural talent. This is not what you want to do. This is what God wants you to do. And sometimes, you know what God wants us to do? Step way out of our comfort zone. Way, way out. So that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt this is God moving. And not me. Does that make sense, gang? That's the filter. If you're comfortable with it, chances are it's not a move of the Spirit of God. Now, how do I know I receive it? Because then the church, the church has to have an environment where there's space to listen to the Holy Spirit move. And it begins with Paul's admonition is what? To pursue earnestly spiritual gifts. That you would know what God has for you. And it could be more than one. And it changes over time, right? This is God moving, not me doing what I want to do. It's me making myself available. Lord, I just want to be used to love people, God, right? And please, can some of us go for the gift of miracles? Wouldn't that be cool? The whole reason for that is what? To love people. And see God do great things and him get the glory, but it's going to take somebody to pursue it. It's the only way it comes, right? It's the only way it comes. And so um, we have to have smaller environments where we just, first of all, say, Lord, I want to, you know, uh, and, and don't get me wrong, we use our talents, our natural gifting. We, we should use those. We use them in our workplace. We use them everywhere. Absolutely. This is talking about something at a whole nother level. Do you understand that? Whole nother level. This is the charisma that's a supernatural gifting, a gift that God has given you for a specific situation, right? And you might not have that same gift the whole time. Who knows, right? That's how we love. That's a hopeful community. When there's a buzz about the presence of God and what he's gonna do, what he's gonna say when God's people gather together. So just in these last couple minutes, we have folks, I'm just gonna pray for us. And uh, let's just take time to listen, take this in. And, uh, and uh, listen to what God has to say. Father, thank you for this morning. Um, Lord, let us be a hopeful community. Let us be a true loving community that covers. Lord, to put away the division, to put away the gossip, but to put away, Lord, the strife and to love each other. 
because of how you've loved us, Lord. Father, right now, I just pray for each of us, Lord, if, if somebody comes to mind, Lord, I just pray that you'll convict us. Lord, I know probably in each of our lives, there's, 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 there's some sin, well, there's some situation, we need to go cover it with the gospel. And I need to lay my offense down. And Lord, I just pray that you'll, by your, your move, Holy Spirit, you'll do that in our hearts. Lord, I just pray that if there's any lack of confidence of, of understanding how the spiritual gifts work, Lord, I pray for a breakthrough. I pray for an understanding that th these and love, these go together. This is Christian community. God, that um, you would just pour out beautiful things, Lord. Lord, for your glory, your glory in your house, Lord. Whisper, come, encourage us now. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.